Turn your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. Thank you. You can be seated. We'll look at the text as we go. You're going to want to be able to see a Bible. We're going to be all over the Scriptures today. And uh, so if you don't have a Bible with you, look under the chair in front of you. There's a Bible there. And uh, so you want to be sure and have one. Grace Baptist Church, the, our ministry here is based on the Great Commission. All right? And so we know the Great Commission is that you're going to go and you're going to preach the gospel. All right. So evangelism is a major part of what we do and the preaching of the word. The Bible says in the book of First Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Doctrine is God's truth in God's words. It's God's truth in God's words. In Acts chapter 17, when the Apostle Paul was establishing the church at Thessalonica, it talked about how he went in among them and he opened the scriptures unto them, opening, the Bible says, and alleging that Christ must needs to have suffered and died and risen from the dead. And so we saw in Acts chapter 17, or if you've spent time studying that, that the Apostle Paul's method was to open and allege. That means to lay side by side the truths of Scripture. And so the preaching of the Word is preaching of the words of Scripture. Right? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we understand the mind of the Spirit by comparing things spiritual with spiritual. And then Jesus told us in John 6, 63, that the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So we understand the Bible by comparing the words of Scripture. In other words, the best commentary on Scripture is Scripture. Is that right? And so we understand the Bible through its own interpretation. The Bible says no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. God told Joseph, Joseph said to the king, interpretation, he said, doth not interpretation belong to God. Have you ever heard someone say, that's just my, or that's just your interpretation? You had someone say that to you. The best way to answer that is, all I did was read it. I'm not interpreting, I'm reading. And we're allowing the Bible to interpret itself. Is that right? So that's the basis for the type of preaching that is to come from the pulpit of Grace Baptist Church. Then, what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that we follow that with scriptural baptizing. The Bible says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Baptism requires the proper candidate. That is a person that has been born again. They place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal life. Amen? It requires the proper administration. The baptism is a part of the local New Testament church. And then it requires the proper mode. And that is that you dip the person in water. That's what the word baptize means. You, when you bury a body, you don't just sprinkle dirt on it. Aaron, where's Aaron and Eric? Eric is here and Aaron. Yeah, we, you don't, they go under, right? Yeah, burying them. And so I, I got to you know, talk to the experts here. I don't think Dr. Edwards is here today. Yeah, we've always said if, if it doesn't work, if Dr. Edwards' you know, surgery doesn't work, then they go to Aaron and Eric <laughs> at the funeral home. So, um, so... Baptism, it requires the proper candidate, and it requires the proper administration, and it requires the proper mode. Baptism, baptism. It's very important, isn't it? It's important. And then the Bible says make disciples. Make disciples. How do you make a disciple? You teach them to observe all things whatsoever the Lord has commanded. So all that, you'll find all of that in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. The authority for all of it is the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. And so that's the basis for everything that we do here. It's the, the proper kind of preaching, the proper kind of church administration and baptism, and the proper type of disciple making. The proper type of disciple making. That is the heart of Grace Baptist Church. We could stop everything else we do. The only things that are important here are the preaching of the word, the scriptural ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and making disciples. Disciple-making comes from people hearing the Word of God through preaching, 
through Sunday school lessons, through our Awana training and our Awana curriculum, through the, the graded material that comes through all of the, the, all the different areas of Grace Baptist Church, all of that teaching. But the primary area of discipleship is where one person, one saved person, takes the Word of God and instills that into another saved person. The basis for that is 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That's God's plan. What things? The things that thou hast heard of me. What are those things? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13, it says, follow after a pattern of sound words. Sound words. Where do we get those sound words? From the word of God. So, Aiden, come up here for a minute. Jacob, come up here with him. So, here's what discipleship is. I get saved, and I'm grounded in the Word of God. And I don't just give him a lesson. All right? If that was the case, I could just give him a binder and send him home. I am going to transfer that I, the life that I have in Christ to him through the Word of God, through the words of God. So, what I give Aiden is actually the Scriptures and a proper understanding of the Scriptures. And so the text says, 2 Timothy 2.2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So I'm not done with Aden when I give him the Scriptures. I'm done with Aden when Aden has given him the Scriptures. That is God's plan. And here's the wonderful thing about this. Not too many more years, I'll pass off the scene. These young men, Lord willing, will have a long time to communicate the Scriptures to someone else. Is that right? All right, thank you. You guys can be seated. The other thing that is key, 1 Corinthians 1.10, the Apostle Paul is saying, I would that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. We're all supposed to speak the same thing. We're not supposed to be divided doctrinally. We're supposed to be one we're to be in agreement. Is that right? But here's the problem. How can we all speak the same thing if we don't all know the same stuff? Isn't that interesting? And here's the key. You don't really know something until you can tell it to someone else. You don't know something until you can tell it to someone else. You've heard me say this, the difference between Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. Right? Wheel of Fortune. This is Joe, and he's fascinated by bright, shiny objects. And oh! Buy a vowel, right? Then you go on Jeopardy. This is Bob. He's an astrophysicist, and he names stars in his spare time, right? One, what is the difference? What is the difference? What's the difference? The material. Being able to regurgitate information rather than solve a puzzle. It's just different. And the, the illustration I like to use is Trivial Pursuit. All right, so you're playing Trivial Pursuit, and they... You get this question. What's the only man-made object visible from outer space? And you look at it and go, oh, I don't know. Great Wall of China. I knew that. How many of you have ever been in it? Right? I knew that. No, if you knew it, you would have said it. You had heard it before. You had heard it before. And there are a lot of Christians, probably many sitting in this room, who you have heard the truth of God, but when you're called upon to speak it, you're not conversant enough with the truth to be able to do that. And consequently, we're not all speaking the same thing. So it's God's plan that all of God's people teach His Word. All of us. That's what making disciples is. All right, so you have Ezekiel 28. Put a marker there. All right, put a marker there. If you don't have a marker, just tear one of your maps out. You don't use them anyway, right? So get in there and go with me um, go with me to John chapter one. How many of you could see I was trying to figure out where I was going to go right there? This is such a big subject and I we don't have enough time to deal with all of it. But I want you to see this. Um, do this. Go to John 17. 
The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says, Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? You hear a lot of people that are talking about they're doing the Lord's work, right? How many of you ever heard that? They're doing the Lord's work. What is the work of the Lord? The best definition I've ever heard for the work of the Lord is this. Now, this is, te- this is technical, all right? You guys can't get this anywhere. You've got to come to Grace Baptist Church to get this level of technicality. Are you ready? The work of the Lord is the work that the Lord was doing when He was here on earth working. Is that awesome? Mark Trotter gave us that definition. It is such a great definition. What is the work of the Lord? People like to come up with all these different ideas. Well, the work of the Lord is the work that the Lord was doing when He was here on earth working. If you ask the average Christian, what is the work of the Lord? What did Jesus Christ come to do? What you'll normally hear is that He came to die on the cross. Well, how many of you are glad that Jesus Christ died on the cross? He actually said He came to do five different things. All right? The work of the Lord is a very specific one of those. All right? Now, I want you to see something that's interesting. John chapter 17, and look at verse 4. So Jesus Christ is getting ready to go to the cross, and look at what He says. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. He said, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. He hadn't been to the cross yet. So on the cross in John chapter 19, go ahead and go over there, John chapter 19, and look at verse 30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So he finished two different things. One he, fi- he had finished by John chapter 17. Another he finished in John chapter 19. What he finished in John 19 was the work of redemption. He had paid the penalty for sin on the cross, and he could die. Right? But what had he finished in John chapter 17? What had he finished? He had finished his work. Is that what it says? Go back to John 17. Look at verse 4. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. He had finished his work, and that work was the work of making disciples. His men were ready. And later on in the text, he talks about, I have given them the words. I've manifested thy name. I have sent them into the world. Those are the things that make up the components of discipleship. Now, go to Ezekiel chapter 28. So, what I just described to you, the work of the Lord, is the work of discipleship. What we're going to look at this morning is a biblical mandate for discipleship. This this ministry of discipleship that we have, all right? And so this ministry of discipleship is what I described, where I give Aden the Scriptures, and then Aden gave Jacob the Scriptures. That's what discipleship is. Now, let me, let me just make this very clear. Okay? Are you all with me right now? How many of you are with me? All right? Make this very clear. What you're doing right now is not discipleship. Now, I'm very thankful that you're here. We need you to be here. Being a part of the church service, the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of, so, of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approach. That's Hebrews chapter uh, 10, verse 25. It's very important that we gather together. But this is not discipleship. This is a component of discipleship as I'm preaching the Word, but that's my job, my role in it. That's not what discipleship is. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the, the biblical mandate of discipleship. And what I want you to see is that God has had a plan all the way through the Scriptures. Now, some of you heard this years and years ago. Others of you who have come later have heard portions of this, but this entire message has not been preached here in at least 10 years. And I just believe that it's time for us to reestablish as a church the biblical mandate of discipleship. Now, let me make one other introductory statement before we go into Ezekiel 28, and it's this. I had a man come to me years ago, and he said, Pastor, will you disciple me? And I said, sure. And what I did was I got a Bible survey book, and we went through the books of the Bible, and I taught him what the, the books of the Bible were about. It wasn't too long after that that Dan and Dodie knew. They kept telling me, you need to come to this church in New Philadelphia and learn about discipleship. 
And let me tell you something. That was a little offensive to me. Mainly because I don't like Dodie. No. That, that was... <laughs> That was, that was a little, because, man, I had grown up around church. I'd gone to two different Bible colleges. You know, I, I wasn't a novice. I knew something about the Scriptures. And I'm thinking, oh, well, I know what discipleship is. And so, honestly, to get Dodie off my back, I went to New Philadelphia. And do you know what I found in that meeting? I didn't know anything about discipleship. It literally changed my life. It changed my life. And what happened was, as I sat there, and Mark Trotter and Jeff Adams went through the Scriptures. It was just verse after verse after verse. And, you know, I, I did what I'm seeing from some of you right now. That's, that was, I, I don't know that that was the way I looked on the outside, but that's the way I looked on the inside. And all of a sudden, the Scriptures started coming through. And they started saying some things that all of a sudden all-knowing Jim Alter did not know. And it literally changed my life. And consequently, it has changed Grace Baptist Church. It has changed us. And so there are some of you who have come from other Bible-preaching churches and you know God's Word, you've been in ministry for a long time, and you think you know what discipleship is. Just like I thought I knew what discipleship was. And I just didn't. I didn't. And it, it, how many things can you say have ever changed your life? You know, the first time I had a Big Mac, that changed my life. You know, Dove Bar. But when you look at the Scriptures and the times that you have sat under the teaching of the Word, how much of it you, you can say, this has been a watershed in my life. Everything changed after that. Well, my understanding of the ministry changed after I learned that. Part of that is what I'm going to show you this morning. So let's go to Ezekiel chapter 28, and we're going to start reading in verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Now, what you're going to see here in this text is there are two speak people being spoken to. It's very interesting. The king of Tyrus, and we're going to meet someone else here in a minute. The king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. So now we see this king of Tyrus is an interesting person. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. And so here you have all of a sudden we're being introduced to someone else. All right, drop down to verse 14. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. So what we learn here, and what I think is the case, is that the king of Tyrus was possessed by Satan. And so God is actually speaking to Satan in this text. He's speaking to him, the anointed cherub that covers. The anointed cherub that covereth. So what are we going to learn here? We're going to learn some things about Lucifer. The first thing that we're going to learn about Lucifer is that his name means light bearer. Light bearer. So we, when we did our um, modern education message, what we learned is that the Lucius Trust used to be Lucifer Publications, and they, they have this light that comes off of it. And so Lucifer, his name means light bearer. And we learned some things about Lucifer in this text. And it says this, again, verse... 12, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou stealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So Lucifer was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Do you see that? All right. Then look at the way he's described. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. When was Lucifer in Eden? He was the serpent. Then look at what it says. Every precious stone was thy covering. So Lucifer was made up of precious stones. And then he's described as the anointed cherub that covereth. Now, how many of you have seen a drawing of what the Ark of the Covenant would have looked like? Have you seen that? And it has the wings of the cherub that cover the throne of God. That was Lucifer's job. 
Whenever you see God represented in the Old Testament, he's represented as light. And so Lucifer's job, the anointed cherub that covers, is he was to cover the throne of God and he would reflect the glory of God through all those, those beautiful gems in brilliance throughout the universe. He is the anointed cherub that covereth. He is a special creation. And I want you to see this. He is a created being. Look at what it says in verse uh, 13 again. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, and he lists all of these stones. Then look at what it says in the middle of the verse. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. So Satan is, Lucifer, is a created being. He's not a god. He's not eternal. He is a created being. Amen? Is that right? And so he is made up of these beautiful stones but also musical instruments. How many of you know that music can be used for evil? Right? Sometimes people have this idea that music is amoral. Well, music can be evil. And Satan can use music in a way that is very evil. Man, there have been a lot of young people that have been drawn away from God because of music. Is that right? And so it's really important that you see this. And Satan was a... Lucifer was a special creation. But not only was he a special creation, he was given a special commission. He was given a special commission. He had a job. So his job would have been, as the anointed cherub that covers, is to reflect the glory of God throughout the world. Now keep your place in Ezekiel and go to the book of Job. Right before the book of Psalms, Job chapter 38. Look at verse 1. Now, remember what has happened. Job has lost his family, and his, his wife is telling him to curse God and die. He has friends who are telling him all this is happening because of his own sin. And Job had had enough, and he started to question God. Now, let me tell you something. Can you all look up here at me just for a second? What this passage will teach us is when we are going through trouble, God still expects us to worship Him properly. Amen? He is still God. How many of you have ever had a child who gets hurt and you're trying to help them and the child tries to hit you? Has that ever happened? And what do you do? You discipline the child, tell them to straighten up because you're trying to help them. Is that right? Well, that's what you should do. If you don't do that, we'll have a parenting session here in a little while. All right, so now look at Job chapter 38. Job has tried to question God, so God is now going to question Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Stand up like a man and answer me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measure thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? Now look at this. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. I was getting ready to do our um, Genesis study several years ago. And so I went down to the Creation Museum and I was talking to one of the heads of the museum there. And just about Genesis and creation. And I asked him, when were the angels created? And he said, probably somewhere around the third day of creation. And I said, well, wait a minute. Who are these sons of God then that are shouting for joy when the foundation of the earth is laid? And it was so funny. He went like this. He had his Bible and he went. He said, now this is poetry. And I said, it's not roses or red, violets or blue. Yes, the, the, the literary type is poetry, but it's the, it's the Word of God. It's God saying what happened. And he had never considered it before. He had never considered it. And I can tell you this, the angels were created before the foundation of the world was laid because these sons of God are shouting for joy. Now, who are the sons of God? It's very important that you get this, and we'll see it throughout the whole message. A son of God is a direct creation of God. A son of God is a direct creation of God. We already saw that Lucifer 
was a created being in the day that thou wast created. Is that right? So a son of God is a direct creation of God. We'll see that through the text. So here in the book of Job, we have these sons of God shouting for joy when the earth is created. And so what I believe Lucifer's special commission, what his job was, is to cover the throne of God, the anointed cherub that covers, and to reflect the glory of God throughout the universe and lead the other sons of God. He was full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, to lead the other sons of God to worship and praise and glorify the God of the universe. He had a special commission. But what we'll see through this text is that there's always a a satanic counter. A satanic counter. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 28. So Lucifer is made up of these beautiful stones and he's made up of musical instruments. Then look at verse 14, Ezekiel 28, verse 14. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. What are the stones of fire? Remember Isaiah chapter 6? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Remember that? And he's, there, there were these cherubim flying around the throne of God, and he says that, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, for I have seen the Lord. And God had him had one of the angels take the tongs off of the altar and unto those stones and coals of fire before the throne, had him take a coal and put it on Isaiah's lips and purify his lips so he could preach the gospel. It's an amazing picture. What the Bible says here is that Lucifer's been there. Look at what it says. Thou hast upon the holy mountain of God, middle of verse 14. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Why? Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Now, I want you to think about something. When all of the sons of God would glorify God, and can you just picture that scene, what it must have been like? As the reflection of the glory of God, God's a spirit. So the reflection of the glory of God is coming through Lucifer, the anointed cherub that covers And the beauty that was reflected, Lucifer thought it was his beauty. So that's like a Christian singer. God gives them a beautiful voice, and they stand up and take all the glory that belongs to God onto themselves. You ever seen somebody just sickening in that way? And so Lucifer was lifted up in pride because of his own beauty. He said, on the day that I was born, the angels got together. Decided to create a dream come true. He really thought he was something. He was lifted up in pride. Keep Ezekiel 28. Go to Isaiah chapter 14 and look at what happened. The satanic counter. Just back a couple of books. Isaiah chapter 14. Look at verse 12. Isaiah fourteen twelve. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne. Now, I want you to notice that he had a throne. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. So here's Lucifer. He's lifted up in pride. And now he thinks that his throne ought to be equal with the throne of God. Now, look at what God did. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. I love this. You know, the Bible says, 
that Jesus Christ is better than the angels? Look at Hebrews chapter 1. Look at what happened. Verse 1, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, including the angels, folks. Now look at this. What does Lucifer mean? What does the name Lucifer mean? Everyone, what does the name Lucifer mean? Light bearer. He's lifted up in pride because of his beauty, according to Ezekiel chapter 28. And look at what God says about Jesus. Who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Here's the key. Satan wanted his throne to be up with God's throne. Jesus sits in God's throne at his right hand. Look at verse 4. Being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. And if you keep going through the rest of chapter 1 and chapter 2, everything that Satan wanted, Jesus obtained by inheritance. God had created Lucifer as a special creation. He had given him a special commission. His special commission was to reflect the glory of God in the world and lead the other sons of God to praise and glorify and magnify the God of the world. But there was a satanic counter. And so what happened when, when Lucifer fell? What happened? Well, the first thing that happened was he lost his position. He's been cast out of heaven. He is no longer the anointed cherub that covers. He lost his power. But remember, don't forget, Jude chapter 9, Moses dared not, or the angel Michael dared not bring a railing accusation against Lucifer. He's still the most powerful of all the created beings. But he lost his power and he lost his throne. Remember, he had a throne there in Eden and God removed him from that. But he's still the God of this world, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The Bible says the God of this world has blinded the eyes of them. But then Lucifer lost his name. He's not called Lucifer after that. He's Satan, that old dragon, the devil. He lost his name. And so what happens is a creature like Satan would believe that he had defeated God's purpose. But God, here's what I think. I heard Mark Trotter say this, and I think it's true. You know, the Bible says he had been in Eden, and it says that he had a throne. He said, I think that what God did is he went to, where, to Eden, to where Satan's throne had been, and he reached down right where that throne had been, and he took a clump of dirt, and he made Adam out of that dirt. And Adam was a very special creation. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. He's a special creation. And we learn something about Adam. Genesis chapter 1, look at verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image. Let us. So that's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Godhead Trinity. God said, let us make man in our image. Do you see that? Our image. After our likeness. Our image and our likeness. So here is a very special creation made in the likeness of God. Look at chapter 2 and verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. A very special creation. He's born in the likeness of God, and he's born with the image of God. Now, this is very important for you to understand your Bible. In order to have the image of God, you must be a son of God. In order to have the image of God, you must be a son of God. Let's go to Luke chapter 2, or Luke chapter 3. To be a son of God, you must possess the image 
of God. So this is the lineage of Jesus Christ. Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man, so the lineage goes all the way back to Adam. Matthew presents Jesus Christ as the king of the Jews, so his lineage goes back to Abraham. Mark presents Jesus Christ as the suffering servant. No one cares about the lineage of a servant, so there's no genealogy there. And the book of John presents Jesus Christ as the Son of God, so it begins, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But here in Luke, the perfect man, Jesus Christ, his lineage is being traced all the way back to Adam. Now look at verse 38, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. So here we see that Adam was a special creation of God. A son of God is a special creation of God. And to have the image of God, you must be a son of God. Remember, we just saw that in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 1, he is the express image of his person. Who? The Son of God, Jesus Christ. In order to have the image of God, you must be a son of God. So he is created in the likeness of God, in the image of God, and he is created to have fellowship with God. So go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. Flip over to Genesis chapter 3, then we'll go back to 2. But look at what it says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So what would happen? Adam would have the Son of God, the voice of God, Jesus Christ, would come and walk with him in the garden in the cool of the day. I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine the conversations that Adam, the perfect man, the Son of God, had with Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, with no sin. Can you imagine what that was like? He was created in the likeness of God, with the image of God, in order to have fellowship with God. Look at chapter 2. Look at verse 16. The Bible says, And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Do you see that? So he's in fellowship with God, and now he's given a special commission. So he's a special creation, and he's given a special commission. And look what that commission is. It says this, that you can eat of every tree of the garden. Look at chapter 1 and verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over, over every living thing that moveth on the earth. He has a special commission. Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth. But chapter 2, there's a problem. There's a problem. Look at chapter 2. In verse 18, And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. So he has, a, he has a commission. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Right? But he has a problem. He's alone. How many of you recognize there's a problem there? Have you recognize there's a problem there? Okay. And so what does God do? He creates for him a bride. But yet, how many of you think God has a sense of humor? All right. Look at what it says in verse, in verse uh, 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field. So he's going to make Adam a helpmeet. He says that he needs to make him a helper, right? You've got to have a partner to a bride to replenish the earth. And he reaches into the ground and pulls out an aardvark. And he tells Adam, I want you to name all these animals. He pulls this thing out. He goes, I don't know aardvark, anything but helpmeet, anything but wife. This is not good. And then look at what the Bible says. Verse, middle of verse uh, 19, "...and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever, whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all, the, to all cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found in help meat for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept." 
And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, Mark Trotter said in the Hebrew, he said, Hamana, 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 Hamana. He said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So what do we have? We have a very special creation. And he's given a special commission that through the relationship with his bride... He is to reproduce other sons of God and teach them to praise and to worship and to fellowship with the God who created them. Can you see that's what His commission is? That's what He's supposed to do. Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. So God continues His plan. He makes a special creation. He creates man. He gives him His likeness. He gives him His image. And He allows him to enjoy fellowship with God. And then he says to them, I'm going to give you the privilege of reproducing other sons of God. But there's a satanic counter. A satanic counter. What was Satan's agenda? Satan's agenda is to cause Adam to lose the image of God. To destroy Adam's fellowship with God and to keep him from fulfilling his mission. So what is his attack? Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. This is always the attack. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So his first attack, the first words of Satan that we've recorded in the Scriptures are, Hath God said? Cause him to question the Word of God. And then what does he do? He appeals to the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You see? And to the woman said the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, God hadn't said they couldn't touch it. He just said they couldn't eat it. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave, unto, gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now what did Satan do? Lust of the eyes, it was pleasant to the sight. Lust of the flesh, pride of life. You'll be like gods. You'll be like the Most High. So what happened? Man fell. And what's the aftermath of this? So you had a special creation, Adam and Eve. They're given a special commission. The special creation is they're created in the likeness of God, in the image of God, to have fellowship with God. Satan causes them to fall. For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So what happened was Adam died spiritually, And he loses the opportunity to reproduce sons of God with the image of God. Look at Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam lived an hundred and thirty years. And begat a son, look at what it says, in his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. You see, Seth wasn't in the image of God, in the likeness of God. He was in the image of Adam and in the likeness of Adam. And all of us have been born in the likeness of our father, Adam, without the likeness of God, without the image of God, and not sons of God. So from that time on, there are no sons of God. Adam dies spiritually. He loses the image of God. He loses fellowship with God. He's cast out of the garden. And for 4,000 years, they're not an individual on the planet Earth that bears the title Son of God. But then what happens? Here comes John the Baptist preparing the way for the Lord. Jesus Christ is born. And Jesus Christ comes, and now we have something that is very special. The second Adam 
The second Adam, the Bible says, a special creation. Now, let's go quickly, and I want you to see some things about Jesus Christ, what he does. Go to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians. Remember, to be a son of God, you must have the image of God. Colossians chapter 1. And look at verse 15. Speaking about Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Jesus Christ has the image of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 again. We read it a little while ago, but look at it again. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. Do you see that? The express image of His person. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Bible says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a thing be established. And look at all these witnesses we have for this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. We quoted this passage earlier speaking about Satan, and look at what it says. In whom the God of this world, that Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Jesus Christ is the image of God. Go to John chapter 1. And look at verse 11. I like verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become, what's it say? The sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So Jesus Christ, who is the express image of the Father, comes and offers to us the new birth so that we can become sons of God. And now we become a very special Creation. Is there anyone here that's saved? Do you know for sure that you're saved? If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, you are a very special creation. We are now the sons of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says this, If any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creature, a direct creation of God. The Bible says being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth, and abideth forever. That's a very special creation, a direct creation of God. That's who you and I are. And I want you to see what God has given us. Remember, Lucifer was a special creation. He was given a special commission, but there's always a satanic counter. Then came Adam, and Adam was a special creation, given a special commission, but a satanic counter and a satanic agenda robbed him of all of those things. And then Jesus Christ came and made us sons of God, and we are a special creation, and we've been given a special commission. But what I want you to do is get Ezekiel chapter 28, and I want you to see something. Get Ezekiel chapter 28. And look at verse 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum. Do you see that? Thou sealest up the sum. That's complete. Well, Second Corinthians 5.17 says, And ye are complete in him. I'm sorry, Colossians 2.10 says, And ye are complete in him. He sealeth up the sum. We're complete in Jesus Christ. In verse 12 again of, of Ezekiel 28, it says, Lucifer was full of wisdom. First Corinthians 2 says that we have the mind of Christ. All the wisdom of the world, in the world. The Bible says in verse 12 of Ezekiel 28 that Lucifer was perfect in beauty. Philippians 3.15 says, Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. 1 Corinthians 2.16, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. And then the Bible says this in Psalm 149.4, He will beautify the meek with salvation. So when we're saved, we, all, we now are complete in Him, seal up the sum. We have the wisdom of God through the mind of Christ. We are perfect in Him, and He beautifies us through salvation. Verse 14 in Ezekiel 28 says, that says Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. 1 John 2.27 says this, But the anointing which ye have received of Him abideth in you. 
He's anointed. We are anointed. We're not looking for some special anointing. We got the Holy Spirit of God when we were saved, and now we are able to serve Him. Lucifer had been created of beautiful jewels to shine forth the glory of God in Ezekiel 28, 13. But the Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 9, check this out. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of His dar- out of darkness into His marvelous light. You ready for this? We are light bearers now. Our job is to reflect the glory of God throughout the universe. Lucifer had been created as musical instruments to praise and lead the angelic host to praise God in Ezekiel 28, 13. But Psalm 40, verse 3 says, And he hath put a new song in my heart, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, Be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music, melody in your heart to the Lord. What happened is everything that God had planned for Lucifer, he lost. But when Jesus Christ saved us, he gave us everything that he had so that we can fulfill our special commission. We are a very special creation, but we've been given a special commission. We are now the sons of God who are God's instruments of praise in the universe. And you ready for this? Lucifer hates us for it. He hates the people of God. and He's called the destroyer of God's people. So what did God create us to do? What is our special commission? Well, as the bride of Christ, what we are supposed to do is through the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, we are supposed to take the Word of God and reproduce other sons of God to praise, glorify, worship, and have fellowship with the God of creation. That's what we are supposed to do. That's the life that we are supposed to live. We are a very special creation. That's you. That's me. That's all of us that God has saved. We were saved for a purpose, a special commission. Lucifer lost it. Adam lost it. Israel didn't want it, but it's our commission. But if we're a special creation, and we've been given a special commission, there's always a satanic counter. What does Satan want to do in your life? What does he establish this whole world system to do? What he wants to do is to keep us from experiencing the intimacy of our relationship with Christ. Listen, you can't have a relationship with your wife. You can't have a relationship with your husband without talking to them. Is that right? That the intimacy comes from your time spent communing with one another. And if you get too busy to talk with your spouse, all of a sudden your relationship suffers. Right? Your relationship suffers. But what Satan wants to do is to keep us from having that kind of intimacy with Jesus Christ through His Word. He wants to keep the Word of God from getting into us. And so what is his attack? Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I'm sorry, it's Colossians 3, 1. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ... Now, remember what it says in Romans chapter 6, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. That, that buried with Christ in baptism, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into Jesus Christ. And now we can walk in newness of life. We are new creatures. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Who is our life? So what is Satan's counter to that? What God wants us to do is set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Is that right? How many of you see that clearly? Is that right? So what does Satan do? He wants to keep us earthbound. He wants to keep us so entangled with this world that we don't have time for His Word. We don't have time for fellowship with Him. We certainly don't have time to be discipled. And we don't have time to disciple someone else because our life is wrapped up in this world, not in the next 
That's Satan's attack. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4. Look at verse 17, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more excellent and exceeding and, and, and eternal, I'm sorry, far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Satan's greatest attack on the Christian is not pornography. It's not abortion. It's not politics. The, Satan's greatest attack on the Christian is to keep us too busy and distracted to spend time with God. And certainly too busy and distracted to spend time studying His Word and teaching it to someone else. Busy with lesser causes. And the aftermath, the result of that, is the mission of reproducing sons of God is not fulfilled. It's not fulfilled. So here's the deal. If you are saved, you are a special creation. And you have been given a special commission. And what that commission is, is through the intimacy of the relationship that you have with your spiritual husband, Jesus Christ, that he takes the Word of God, and through that Word of God, you reproduce other sons of God who know him and worship him, and who then can reproduce other sons of God. That's what the Great Commission is. That's God's plan for the New Testament church. And the only thing that hinders that, it's not the power of God that's lessened. It's the people of God being distracted by this world and kept from fulfilling the commission that God created them for. So let me ask you a question. Are you being discipled? I'm not talking about in another place. I'm talking about here. It's very important that you get this. What is the purpose of discipleship? The purpose of discipleship is not to make you know more about the Bible. The purpose of discipleship is to reproduce sons of God who are members of the New Testament church that Jesus Christ died for. He gave His life for the church. He shed His blood for the church. God's chosen vehicle of expression in this age is the New Testament church. You can't go out on your own and believe you are fulfilling the Great Commission. You're not. God's plan is to work through the New Testament church. Not only Grace Baptist, there's lots of great churches around. But through churches like Grace Baptist Church... The purpose of discipleship is to make you an active participant in the life and ministry of this church. It's not teaching information. It's creating useful members for God's work through His institution, the New Testament church. How many believe God established the family and He has a purpose for it? How many believe God established human government and has a purpose for it? But in our age, the purpose of the New Testament church has been completely lost. God still has a purpose for the church. And it can't happen without you. God's plan remains unfulfilled because we are earthbound. So let me ask you this. Are you saved today? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone? If you are, man, you're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Forgetting those things which are behind and looking forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I have a reason to live. And Satan wants to keep me from that reason. Man, and we can be distracted by good things and kept from doing the only thing that God wants us to do. And that's to make disciples. Look, let's finish with this. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15, look at verse 58. Uh, let's look at verse 57, it's too good. First Corinthians 15, look at verse 57. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? It's the work that the Lord was doing when He was here on earth working. When He said in John chapter, four, John chapter 17 and verse 4, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. What was that work? He had made disciples. His men had been trained and were sent out into the world. That's the work of the Lord. So what do you need to do? What do I need to do? We need to be steadfast, unmovable. What's the next word? What's the next word? Everyone? What's the next word? Always. How are you doing with always? How are you doing with always? Don't raise your hand. How many of you have said, I don't have time for discipleship? You know what's happening in your life? Satan's winning. You're earthbound. What do you need to do? Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It really is so clear on who we are and what we've been created.